He's provided the only way that we can have a right relationship with you. He's provided us a worthy object of our faith. God, I pray this morning as as I share from what you've been showing me um, recently on these topics, I pray that uh, your truth would come through. Not my words, not my thoughts, but your truth. That you'd speak to the heart of each person who's here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, again, welcome to the firehouse. I'm Greg, I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, uh, see a lot of new faces, I uh, see a lot of familiar faces. It's good to be back with family together. I'm glad we're all here together today. Um, as Brad mentioned earlier, we are in the midst of a series, a teaching series about uh, uh, becoming disciples of Jesus. It's called The uh, Marks of a Disciple. Um, And for those of you who are new or maybe haven't been coming around so much, uh, this is really the heart of what the Firehouse Church is. Discipleship. That's really what we have. This is the center of what we think God has called us to at a church. So, what is a disciple? Just really quick as a review. um, A disciple is somebody, a disciple of Jesus, is somebody who is going after the person and teachings of Jesus. Furthermore, we see that a disciple is not only doing that, but is helping others to also be disciples. You could call that being a disciple maker. Now, last week, Rich talked about uh, disciples uh, that are marked by two things. He had sort of two illustrations for that. The first one was disciples are marked by a cross. And the idea there was that we as disciples are denying ourselves and we're following Jesus into abundant life. The other thing we were marked by in the illustration was a nail. And a nail kind of is a, is a symbol for becoming bond servants. Remember the illustration about driving the nail through your ear? We're bond servants or slaves out of joyful choice to Jesus. Now, this week, as Brad mentioned earlier, I have the assignment of talking about prayer and faith. Now, when we came up with the teaching assignments... I I distinctly recall that it said prayer. And then at some point it said slash faith. Now, if you go to the Bible and you take, for example, the ESV, that version, there's 154 verses that use the word prayer. There's 316 verses that use the word prayer. And 475 that use the word faith. So, I hope you brought a snack. Do you need to take a bathroom break? We're going to go through all of those this morning. No, we're not. Um, I found this. I have here in my hand a copy of what is the world's most impossible final exam. And I'm going to give you some of the questions on this. I thought this was fun. Uh, The instructions are you read each question carefully. You have to answer all of the questions. You have only two hours and you must begin immediately. And the topic of art, the question is, given one eight-count box of crayons and three sheets of notebook paper, recreate the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Skin tone should be true to life. Uh, In chemistry, you must identify a poison sample, which you will find at your lab table. All necessary equipment has been provided. There are two beakers at your desk, one of which holds the antidote. If the wrong substance is used, it causes instant death. You may begin as soon as the professor injects you with a sample of the poison. We feel this will give you an incentive to find the correct answer. The topic of economics. 
Develop a realistic plan for refinancing the national debt. Criticize this method from all possible points of view and point out the deficiencies in your own point of view. History. Describe the history of the Christian church from its origins to the present day, concentrating especially, but not exclusively, on Europe, Asia, America, and Africa. Be brief, concise, and specific. Physics. Explain the nature of matter. Include in your answer an evaluation of the impact of the development of mathematics on science. And lastly, sociology. Estimate the sociological problems which might accompany the end of the world. Construct an experiment to test your theory. For extra credit, define the universe and give three examples of it. I feel like we could add another, another question onto this impossible final exam, which is construct a 30-minute teaching on prayer and faith from the Bible. Could we come up with a more broad topic? So, that being said, um, this week as I was sort of lamenting this to my wife, she just said something that I think kind of brought me back to center. She said, why don't you just share what God is teaching you about these things right now? I was like, well, as usual, she has good things to say into my life. And I said, that's a really good idea. So, um, that's what I'm going to share for you today. This is not going to be a comprehensive take on prayer and faith. Or even a comprehensive take on what prayer and faith means to a disciple. But I think that's really been true to my discipleship experience over the years. Is that I'm, as I am reading the Bible, I find that verses apply to me. And as I share them with others, I find they apply to others. So, it's my hope and prayer that what God has been showing me in this topic in, in recent weeks is something that will apply to you today. So... Faith. Why don't we start with faith? It worked. This thing doesn't like me. All right. Start at the beginning. What should I do to have faith? Let's go back to that. Number one. What should I do to have faith? There's a verse in the book of John, two verses in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. The disciples have questions for Jesus. And they speak here. They asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, the disciples that day, they had grown up in and they were living in a Jewish culture. In Judaism, I will say, first off, I have tremendous respect and love for the Jews. I don't know how many of you listened to the speech by the Prime Minister of Israel this week. I thought it was a wonderful speech. I have tremendous respect for Jews and love for the Jews. But Judaism is a religion of works. And so these guys had grown up in a religion of works. Now, I've seen examples of that. I have a friend, a good friend, who is a Jew. Uh, and when it comes to the, the illustration of gift giving, um, if you give him a gift, he can't let that sit. He has to give you a gift back because it's a workspace thing. Oh, you did this for me. I must do this for you. And then he also sort of thinks if, if I do this for you, you must do it for me. If you don't do it for me, I'm never giving you a gift again, right? It's kind of a workspace thing. And that's what these guys, these disciples, they lived in this culture. And throughout the Gospels, we keep seeing the Pharisees, the leader of that culture, coming to Jesus 
and asking about works. Asking about what to do, what to do, what to do. And right here in this verse, Jesus shatters this idea. See, he says, no, no, it's not about working for God. It's about believing in God. It's about believing in me. See, faith is not about doing something for him at all. It's not about doing something for him. It's about believing in him. And as Christians, what, what's a synonym for what we call ourselves? We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves, starts with a B, born again, be, believers. Yes, we call ourselves believers, right? And see, the reason we do that is because we are transferring our trust. We transfer our trust from ourselves to God. There's a great illustration. I shared it this week with my friend Jared. Um, if you take a chair, right, there's a chair sitting right here. And if I ask any one of you, will this chair over here on the corner, will this chair hold you up if you sit in it? Get an answer. Yes, probably. Now, is that chair holding you up right now? No. Why is that chair not holding you up? Because you're not sitting in it. Right. And so for you, for that chair to hold you up, what must you do? You have to go sit. Now, we all couldn't go sit in the chair at once, right? That would be a big stack of people on one chair. And I don't know if that would hold all of us up, but that chair will hold each one of you individually, right? And that's that idea of transfer of trust. When you have faith in Jesus, you take the transfer from the chair you're sitting in, and you go sit in the chair, the faith that he's provided for you. Now, we're talking about belief. We're talking about faith. Is belief, is faith, is it automatic? Does it just happen? No, it's a choice. Belief is a choice. We call ourselves believers because we have chosen to sit in that chair. Now, when you make a choice to believe, what does it lead to? There's a verse, a chapter over in John, chapter 7, verse 17, it says this. It says, Jesus is speaking here, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So at first glance, you might say, wait, what does this verse really have to do with faith? Now let's go back. What did we say? What's God's will for someone to be a disciple? His will is for them to have faith. What does faith equate to? Belief. What is our role in belief? To transfer our trust. Now, how do we demonstrate that transfer of trust? We demonstrate it in our choices. We, do, we make choices that are to do God's will, not to do our own will. Now, choosing to obey is the same as faith. And we've been talking in the series about the choices that are required to be a disciple. And there's lots of choices, and it, it comes a lot of different ways. Um, but something that's really struck me, and I think I've shared this with a number of you here over the past couple of weeks, is that these choices are not difficult to understand. They're not complicated. They're not nuanced. They're not kind of gray areas at all. They're very black or white. The challenge in these choices is not knowing what to do, the challenge is in making the choice to do these things. See, choosing to do God's will, making that choice, 
is a reflection of what's going on in my heart. It's a reflection of my life attitude. And so a person who's set on doing that will embrace Jesus' teaching. Now, there is a reward to faith as well. See in that verse, Jesus says what? We will find out. Jesus tells us that when we obey, we will understand. He tells us that when we obey, we will know God's heart. There's a quote from an early church father, Augustine. I have it right here on the screen. Augustine said this. He was talking about this very verse in John chapter 7. He says, Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, do not seek to understand in order to believe but believe that you may understand. What is, if any man be willing to do his will? It is the same thing as to believe. Faith is a choice, and the choice leads to understanding. So, I choose faith, maybe you choose faith, maybe you're thinking about choosing faith. How do I demonstrate this faith? What... How do I do it? I'm choosing to obey. We've been talking about it in this series. How do you obey? How do you obey? How do you obey? We're talking about habits. Habits of discipleship. And I shared a few weeks ago, there's really kind of five that top my list. I think you can come up with a bunch more. There's probably a lot of different ways to slice that. But the five I think of are reading the Bible, serving, giving, being involved in spiritual fellowship, with other believers, and prayer. And prayer is the one we're going to talk about today. That's one means of demonstrating my faith. Just one means is prayer, but it's a very important means of demonstrating faith. And uh, King David knew this in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1, and then in verse 10, in that psalm, he sort of outlines this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. See, he's talking to God. Later he says, In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. David understood something about the the action of talking to God in prayer. He understood that one of the greatest exercises of faith is in prayer. It's not in actions, but it's in communication. And then prayer is really, is really about God hearing from me relationally. That's right, let me say that again. Prayer is as much, if not more, about God hearing from me as it is about me telling God what's on my heart. See, God already knows, right? If he's God, he's omniscient, which is a fancy word for he knows everything. If he knows everything, he knows what's on my heart. So why do I need to tell him what's on my heart if he already knows? Well, it's that act of communication, that act of relationship, right? An illustration I could give of this is, um, most of you know, I really love to eat meat. And I really love to eat beef, right? All kinds of beef. And my dear wife knows that I love to eat meat. And so she serves meat, beef, to meat, not every meal, Not even every day, but regularly enough that it makes me happy. And so my response to her is to say thank you. Most of the time, I'm probably not always the best at saying thank you, but 
my goal is to say thank you. To, thank you. Thank you for serving this. Thank you for serving my favorite food. I love it. Now, what if I stopped saying thank you? Well, would, would that mean that I don't like beef anymore? No. Would she think that I don't like beef anymore? I guess she might think that, but probably not. She knows I really like it. But how would she feel? What would that do to our relationship if I stopped communicating to her what she already knew? It would cause problems in our relationship, right? There would be hurt. She'd begin to question or it would, it would cause a, a separation between us. Even just there was something as simple as beef for dinner or breakfast, <laughs> right? Now, some of you say, okay, prayer and faith. And a lot of people wonder, is faith really blind faith? Um, no, is, I don't think prayer is an expression of blind faith because I don't think that faith is blind. And that's what I love about this verse. Well, the verse before, John in John chapter 7, understanding is the reward of faith, right? It doesn't say blindness is the reward of faith or faith is just something you do blindly. No, understanding is the reward of faith. And so prayer becomes an expression of faith in understanding. Now, Let's, com- let's explore a little bit more about her- how prayer connects to faith. What did Jesus say about the connection between faith and prayer? He probably had something to say about it, right? It's a number of things. I like this passage um, in Mark chapter 11. Can we get there? Mark chapter 11, um, verses 22 to 24. Jesus is speaking. Jesus said this. He said, have faith in God. Oh, faith. I heard it. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And there's lots of ways you can go with this verse. I think there's a lot of meaning. I think this verse has a lot of of richness and depth to it. But one thing I see in here is that Great faith equates to great physical power. And I don't necessarily understand how that works completely, but Jesus said it right here. He said, with faith, we can do great things. And I think we should. I think we can take him at his word when he says that. I think we can move mountains with our faith. That sounds like a lot of faith required to move a mountain, right? a lot of, of, I mean it would be a lot of physical work, I imagine it would be a lot of faith work as well to move a mountain but does it take a lot of effort for God to move a mountain? Anyone? No? No, I don't think so He created it He can move it around So if we focus on our prayer, on our own faith and our own faith moving We're really focusing on what? We're focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on our strength. We're focusing on what we are trying to accomplish. And so I ask the question, why? Why would we make all of that effort to move something of our own accord when we have the will and the power of the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent creator of the entire universe? He's on our side. We can talk to him. He can move that mountain. We don't need to move that mountain. And furthermore, if our faith is in God, we can release the need to move that mountain. 
to him. If we focus on him, he'll take care of not only the moving, but on the need to move. I think what Jesus is saying in this passage, I think what he is saying is that we need to focus our faith on God, not on things through prayer. I think that's your blank there. Now, I've got a quote here from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a, a Scottish missionary. Can we get to that, August? You guys are filling in your blanks. Everybody got a little sheet to write on. There we go. All right, here's Andrew Murray. He was a Scottish missionary to South Africa. He wrote a great book about prayer called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And he said this, talking about this passage in Mark. He said, listen to the lesson of Jesus. Listen to the lesson Jesus teaches us. Have faith in God. The living God. Let faith focus on God more than on the thing promised. Because it is his love, his power, his living presence that will awaken and work the faith. Learn to believe in God. To hold on to God. And to let God take possession of your life. It will become easy to grasp the promise So prayer really is the expression of faith focused on God, not on the outcome. There we go. You can fill in your blanks. Good. Okay, so as our focus in prayer shifts from the outcome and it shifts to God, what changes in our hearts? There's a verse in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says this. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Did you ever think about how crazy prayer looks? Some of you in here maybe are just checking things out and and you don't really pray. You don't even know, is this God real or not? I'm not even sure if he's there or who he is or who's his Jesus or whatever. I think... I think prayer must seem crazy, right? Seem crazy to people. We're just talking to the air. Right? Especially when we pray out loud. I'm standing up here praying and like, who's that guy talking to? Is he talking to himself? You know, the Apostle Paul said we are to be pitied above anybody else if this isn't true. And I think prayer is one of those things where it's like, wow, that's a crazy guy up there. He's just talking to the air. But this crazy prayer... It really is, and I do believe, and have experienced that it is true, we really are talking to the creator of the universe. It gets us into two mindsets. Those two mindsets are probably pretty obvious from here. The first one is watchfulness. Now, I love the word watchful, in part because my name is Gregory, and the name Gregory means watchful one. I bet none of you knew that. Now, that became kind of a joke growing up because I had an older brother um, and he liked to pick on me and when he heard that, he would always say, well, that can't be true. I can always scare him when I jump out around the corner at him. He's not watchful. (laughs) I don't know if I'm watchful or not. I'm not sure if my name necessarily made me watchful. But watchfulness is one of those things we get when we turn our heart towards prayer and towards God and prayer. And what are we watchful of? What do we become aware of? We become aware of the world around us. As we pray, we begin to see. We get our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to see the world around us. 
more so even than the world, we begin to see the spiritual realm. We begin to see the enemy at work. Um, we begin to see what he is doing and how he is coming against us. I have a quote here from Samuel Chadwick. It's an English minister. And he said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Here's that spiritual realm at work. He fears, the devil fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. We become aware of the spiritual realm when we pray. We become aware of the needs of our people. I pray, I become aware of what's going on, what I know is going on, and I look around and I see faces and I know things that are going on in your lives. And as I pray, I'm reminded to pray for you guys. And I hope you're reminded to pray for me. And again, we're not focused on the outcome, we're focused on God. The second mindset we get into is uh, thankfulness. We become thankful. We develop that attitude of gratitude. I don't know where that comes from, but it just sounds like something a a Southern Baptist preacher would say. The attitude of gratitude. (laughs) The focus is off off of me, and it goes on to God, and I become thankful. I become aware of what I do have. Now, in my house, again, my, my wife is full of great ideas. Um, she purchased little journals for she and I and for our older kids, these tiny little journals. And the idea here, these are thankfulness journals. And on a daily basis or sometimes hourly basis, as, as you have it, as you see fit, our goal is to just write down something that we're thankful for. Lest you think that we can only be thankful for really big things like the Constitution of the United States or that sort of thing, which is a worthwhile thing to be thankful for. I thought I would bring along my nine-year-old Josiah's thankfulness journal and read you some of the things he's thankful for. Josiah is thankful for Legos. Amen. That's a, that's a good thing. I see the names of all four of his siblings on here. He's thankful for pants. He's thankful for freedom. He's thankful for his littlest brother Kellen's mad face. It's super cute. He's thankful for our next door neighbors, Doug and Ann. He's thankful for church. I see a bunch of food items on here. He loves to eat. Thankful for eggs, water, milk, and kombucha. I'm not thankful for kombucha, but I know he is. (laughs) He's thankful for the Bible. He said pants earlier, now he says shirts. He's thankful for shirts. He's thankful for our small group. He's thankful for dad's day off. I'm thankful for for dad's day off too. And I think this is just a good example of how we can be thankful. And as we pray, we can be thankful. And we can. We can thank God for Legos and pants and shirts and our siblings and our church and our small group. We can. The simple things. As we pray, we develop that attitude of gratitude. And so as our hearts bend towards watchfulness and thankfulness, how should we pray? What did the Apostle Paul say about the manner of our prayers. See, there's a lot of verses about prayer, and I know some of you, like, where's Dennis? Is Dennis in here? 
Dennis will probably go away and be like, I wish you'd said about that verse or that verse. Or that, right? There's all kinds of great verses. There's the Lord's Prayer. We sang the Lord's Prayer earlier. It's a great, a great one. I think it should be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's really about us praying, right? There's so many great verses, but I'm just going to focus on this one verse for the rest of the time today. This one verse. What did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? This is a really short verse. Pray without ceasing. I think all of us could memorize this verse, right? And take it to heart. Pray without ceasing. Now, what are the implications of prayer without ceasing? I, I love to think about things logically and, and, and where do things end up, right? Well, if you think about, okay, God wants us to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Well, I think that means our voice is not important. Because if we were supposed to pray audibly, we would never stop talking. Like, that doesn't seem reasonable. He's not talking about praying audibly. So that means he can hear us in our hearts and in our minds. We don't have to speak audibly. Now, it makes sense to speak audibly. We don't have to. It also means that our posture is not important. We don't have to be on our knees. If we had to be on our knees all the time, we'd never go to work. We'd never come to church or we'd crawl on our knees to church or something and we'd all have worn out holes on our knees. That's not what it means. You don't have to be on your knees all the time. Place is not essential. A lot of people think you can only pray in church or you can only pray in your closet or you can only pray at the dinner table. Those aren't the only places you can pray. Obviously, you can pray anywhere else we'd be sort of stuck in one of three places and you couldn't pray but going from one to the other. I think it also means that the time to pray is any time. There's never a bad time to pray. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't know why. And I say, God, I think you just must want me to pray. And I've had some good conversations with God at three in the morning. And what does this mean? What is the meaning? Those are the implications. What is the meaning of pray without ceasing? What does it mean? Well, I think it means that prayer is a privilege. Some of you know that this week is the the Jewish celebration of Purim, which is the celebration of the story of Esther, of how she approached the king, and the king let down his scepter, and she had the plan, and she told him what was going on, and the Jewish people were saved. I think it's a great story and has all applications, but I think it's one of those that shows a contrast to what Jesus has done for us, is that we don't have to approach the king and hope he puts his scepter down. His arms are open to us all the time. We can pray anytime. And what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to approach the creator of the universe in prayer. I think this also means that prayer is a developed habit. I think any of us just go out and start praying without ceasing. I don't think any of us have that naturally. I certainly don't have that naturally in my life. So it's a developed habit. And so I would encourage you, don't abandon That habit, as you develop that habit, because a habit unpracticed is a habit lost. Don't become irregular at prayer, because an irregular habit is not a habit. I think it's important to be both formal and informal. There's a time to come into a group and pray in a formal way, and there's times to just walk down the street and say, God, thank you for the sunshine. Thank you that I can walk down the street today. Thank you that I can draw breath and that my heart is beating. We can pray formally and we can pray informally. Those are both important. We can do those all the time. And I think it's also important to understand pray without ceasing also means that there does not need to be a seam between our prayer life and our action life. We want our actions to be consistent with and a continuation of our prayer. 
Now, why? Why should we pray without ceasing? I mean, obviously, Paul says to do it, but there's probably a good reason. He's not just trying to take up our time with prayer. What are some good reasons? Well, one of them is that the Lord deserves to be worshipped and worshipped constantly. Amen? Psalm 145 verse 3 says this. It says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. I think in addition to worshipping this creator of the universe constantly, I think it's good for us to have a desire to have our work blessed, have the things we do blessed. William Temple, he said this. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. I like that quote. And again, our focus needs to be on God, not on the outcome. But I think it is good to desire the blessing of God. These things. Another reason we should pray without ceasing is that we are always, always, always a target for temptation. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil that we talked about before. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We're always a target for temptation. And if we're praying without ceasing... We have something to go to as we face temptations. Now, what should I pray for when I pray unceasingly? Well, just like the thankfulness journal, you could probably come up with all kinds of things in your life, all kinds of needs, all kinds of issues, all kinds of things to be thankful and watchful for. Lots of good options. I'll throw in there three things. I'm sure a lot of you pray for these things already, but if you're not, I sure would appreciate if you'd pray for these three things. First one, would you pray for your pastors? Would you pray for us? God has appointed us for whatever reason. Sometimes I say, God, why did you do that? (laughs) I don't know if that was a good idea, God, but that's what you want to do. Would you pray for us? Sometimes we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And we need help. We want to hear from God. We want to lead you as a church in the way that God wants us to go. and the way that is good for your lives. If you pray for us, I think it's going to make that a lot easier for us. Another thing you could pray for are the lost in our midst, in your midst. It's easy to pray for people who are on a different continent and say, oh, that that people group over there, and that's fine. But there's lost people, I'm sure, each of you right now, each of you who calls yourself a believer can think of somebody near you, in your circle, at your job, in your neighborhood, who doesn't have a right relationship with Jesus. Pray for those people. Pray for them. Think back even in your own story. You know there were people praying for you. That you would come to have faith. That you would come to believe. Pray for those people. And then I'd ask also that you'd pray for unity in our church. As most of you know, we're we're facing a, a big challenge here as a church. As we seek to take ground. As we seek to open a new location at the south end of town, in Franktown. And that's coming up here, Palm Sunday, Easter, April and May. We're, we're trusting God in a really big way um, with that. And anytime there's change, well, anytime at all, but especially when there's change in a church, there's the opportunity for disunity. There's an opportunity for us to be split apart. 
And you know what? It's okay to have your own opinions on things. That's fine. I'm not going to tell you. We all have to have the same opinion. But there's a difference between having an opinion and being disunifying. And so I'd ask that you pray that, hey, as, as there are naysayers and as there are opinions and there are different issues and different views of how we're doing this thing, that you would pray that God would be building unity in this church, even as we go into two locations, that we would be united as one church. I would really appreciate it if you would pray. I know the other pastors would as well. So, uh, one other thing. We thought as, as pastors, as we were talking about this idea of prayer, and we were sharing on this, we even shared this on Wednesday night at the men's time, we thought we could do more than just say, hey, pray. We thought we would make an event so that we could all rally around and pray together. So, we're going to have on March 18th, that would be not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we would ask that you would take that day as a day of prayer and fasting. Now, fasting is a whole other topic that I didn't want to add to prayer and to faith. I knew we wanted to get out of here in a reasonable time. But fasting is just something where we do, where we, we hold off on eating. And we do that as a way to point our hearts toward God, to, to eliminate a distraction in our life. Anytime I do that, man, like I said, I love to eat. Um, I get those hunger pains and those remind me I want to pray. It helps me to pray without ceasing. It's just one other tool to go down that. So what we're asking is that on March 18th, if you would join us and take that day and and fast and pray and pray for our church. And I think um, by next week, we're probably going to have a list of even some things that you could be praying for specifically in addition to all the other things you could be praying unceasingly for. And then we'll gather together at 7 o'clock right here on that Wednesday night. We're going to have a a time to pray together and worship. And if it works better for you and your family, you could break that fast with dinner beforehand. Or if if you're one of these hardcore single guys and you want to just go on all the way through the end and go eat after that, that's great. If you want to fast for a week, I guess that's up to you too if you want to do that. Um, But we want to let you know that's the plan. That's what we're aiming for. Not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. So pull out your smartphones. I know you all have calendars. Put it on your calendar there. So that being said, let me wrap up with just a a summary. What's my encouragement to you today? I know we've covered a lot of ground here in about 30 minutes. What's my encouragement to you today? As we continue together, remember we're together on this. I haven't arrived. Rich hasn't arrived, even though he's wearing a shirt and tie. He hasn't arrived either on the journey of faith, on the journey of discipleship. None of us have. We're going on this together. So together, let's have faith. Let's have a belief. Let's be believers. Believe in God. And as that belief, as God promises, that belief will lead to understanding. Let's let that understanding lead us into making choices of obedience. And in this, let's strive together to be disciples who are faithful in prayer. So why don't we do that right now? I'll just pray for us. Everyone can bow your heads and close your eyes just as a way of of, uh, being undistracted. Like I said, um, pray without ceasing doesn't mean you have to have your head bowed and your eyes closed. Um, But it's a good way to to be undistracted. And, And some of you may be here, and again, you may be one of those who's questioning, is there a God Is this God even real? And I think one of the most effective prayers you can pray, and yes, God can hear you if you have a right relationship with him or not. I think one of the most effective prayers you could pray is you could say, God, if you're out there, would you reveal yourself to me? 
think he'll do that. I know he'll do that. He's promised that he'll do that. And some of you may say, yeah, I I do know there's a God, but I I don't know Jesus. You might just ask God to, to draw you to Jesus and we don't have time to cover that territory today, but if, <clears throat> if you'd like to know more about Jesus, I'd, I'd say, God, you could pray, God, I want to know Jesus more. And if that's your prayer, I or Rich or Brad or someone who brought you or someone sitting near you, we'd love to tell you about that more. But God, I, I pray that you would, you would lead us on into greater faith as a church. God, as, as we face the, the giants as a church, as we face the giants in our own life, and again, as I look out and I see those faces in the crowd, and I know very challenging things going on in lives. God, we know that you'll meet us there as we have faith. We believe. We declare to you that we believe. We are believers. Your son, Jesus Christ. And in your word. God help us as we go forward. Help us to develop a habit of prayer. God help me to pray more. God when I think of those five areas of discipleship. I confess I think prayer is probably the one I'm the weakest in. God I could really use help in that. I know there's others like that who could just pray even now. Lord help me to have a stronger prayer life. Help me to develop a pattern of prayer. God, we trust that as we pray, it will draw our hearts closer to you. And that you'll reward us. And you'll have that blessing. And you'll move those mountains. And our focus, God, we declare our focus is on you. Not on the mountains that have to be moved. Our faith is in you. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. So that we could have the gap of sin that separates us from you be bridged. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for coming to the Firehouse Church today. Uh, If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Um, If you're new, take a moment to fill out one of those Connect cards, uh, even if it's at the back, and drop it off at the back. We have a free gift that we will get to you in the mail, but we've got to have that information from you. Um, Don't worry, we don't sell your information to anybody. We don't spam your email account. Uh, We just want to be able to serve you better and, and pray for you as we can. Thank you for coming. Enjoy your Sunday, and we will uh, 